Hey guys, it's Katie. And this is Justin. Welcome back. Uh, today we are going to have Justin telling us his story. Justin, you want to kind of give us a little preview over what to expect? Today? Yeah, so we're going to go over um, basically Earl Nelson, the gorilla killer. Ooh. He's also known as the Dark Strangler. Okay. So let's just jump on into it. All right, let's do it. So, Earl, he was born Earl Leonard Farrell. He was actually born on May 12, oh. 1897. So, would you well, say 1897? Yes, yeah, so quite a long time ago. Uh -huh, okay. He was born and raised in San Francisco. Uh, his mom was actually Frances Nelson, and his father was of Spanish descent. He was named James Farrell. Both his parents actually died from syphilis before Damn. he was actually even two years old. So, like, I, I read a few things different, you know. Like, I'd seen that his dad was into, like, super, like, crazy sex parties and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And that actually he even had syphilis before he got with the mom. Damn. So, it was, it was just kind of, it was just kind of a lot. And this was 1800s? Like, 1897, yeah. Damn, they was like, we getting it in. Yeah, fucking. Uh -uh. So, from there, basically, Earl, he was sent to live with his mother's mom. Uh, oh, his so his grandma. grandma. No, his oh, grandma. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Sorry. Her name was Jenny Nelson. Um, she raised him basically as one of her own with, you know, her two children, um, who were actually about 8 and 10 years older than Earl. Uh so he was the youngest kid in the house? Well, yeah, he was the youngest because it was his grandma right. and his, and his, aunt, and his uncles, okay. and un aunt and uncle, sorry. Um, but to basically add, I mean, to his already sad childhood, he was expelled at the age of seven for, okay. for guess what? Morbid and self-loathing behavior. So, like, at seven. What's self-loathing? Can you... <laughs> Self-loathing is basically like, oh, uh, um, I hate myself, you know, like, uh, you know. Already, and he was only Self-hate, basically, at seven. Wow. Yeah, and at the age of 10, he was actually in a in an accident and with a fucking streetcar, you know, like, in um, San Francisco, how they have those little trolleys with, like, the streetcars mm -hmm. and people ride on them. He got an accident with one of those while he was riding his bike. Um, and like after the accident, he was unconscious for actually six days. I, I listened to like one podcast and the other podcast was like, yeah, his grandma didn't even take him to the hospital. Just basically took him home and let him rest it off in the bed for six days. Passed well, out it unconscious. The, it was the 1800s. So like, I don't doubt that. What the they fuck? Were like, that was back in the day when they were like, you have a fever, take a spoonful of alcohol. Here's like, some whiskey for you. Like the hell? So. Surprising. That makes that sense is, then. Is, but it does. It is fucked up though. Maybe. So after like being unconscious for six days, he woke up and then basically began acting erratic. He recovered physically, but not ever really was the same mentally. So like he never recovered from where he was at at ten mentally. Like what the fuck? And they said that like that's what happened. Like it really altered from his the accident. Like yeah, he was. So sad. I mean, he probably had you know. It said he suffered from uh, headaches and different uh, memory loss as well. We can be sad so, for the child. Same. Him, so know. same, you know, I get headaches all the time. You get the memory loss part of it. But, um, like, I mean, I, like I said, I'm sure, you know, he, you can kind of relate to that. But he started acting, you know, even more bizarre. He would uh, have manic episodes and would also talk to invisible people. Sounds like he's schizophrenic. Like invisible people? What's that? Like, he would, what the, it sounds like he's got a lot of mental like issues going on. He was caught watching actually a female family member undress. Ew. Like at, Ew. at this point, he wasn't really doing anything too crazy, I guess, but just, just Be, gross, really. Incest at that point. Yeah, just, just gross, really. He was um, a hardcore Bible thumper. Uh, like... <laughs> Like, literally, it said he quoted uh, Bible verses at the top of his lungs and scriptures uh, that would mention the beast. And probably due to the fact that he was raised by his grandma, who was, you know, a devout Pentecostal. Oh, Lord. So, you know. No 
he he was raised with strong religious beliefs, you know, and that remained a big influence throughout his life. Um, like to the point where he was raised to believe sex outside of marital bed, you know, all that. Uh, I mean, if that's how he was raised, that was, you know, that's how he's raised. Yeah, making, you know, he was basically, you know, that's eternal damnation or mm-hmm. whatever. But some people, I mean, people really believe that. So yeah, I don't, I, I, I can't relate. No, me either. But I'm just saying, hey, that's not the lifestyle for me. But mm-hmm. if that's what it is for you, go hard. <laughs> right. As a preteen, Earl refused to like eat food that was prepared for him. <laughs> Why? So, that's the only time I want to eat. That's our daughter, right? <laughs> so basically, he instead he would throw scraps of food onto a plate. Mix it with a bottle of olive oil. Then he slurped the meal from the plate instead of using, you know, like a fork or a spoon. So he's he's a psychopath. Super fucking weird. You said olive oil? Olive oil. Yuck. It was also reported that his grandfather uh, would get him, like, clean clothes. And Earl would just trade him for raggedy clothes. Like... He'd like get that point. He just want to be dirty looking. Like what? You went out of your way. As a teen, he was obsessed with like uh, reading the Book of Revelations in the Bible. Um, he he was also described as a daydreamer, same, and a compulsive masturbator. Masturbator. Oh. <laughs> same. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. <coughs> like what the fuck, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> In 1904, um, his grandpa died, mm-hmm. and actually three years later, when Earl was like, say, 14, it said his grandma died as well, and he was sent to live with his aunt Lillian and her husband. Weirdly, um, you know, for like I said, liking dirty clothes, he obsessively changed his clothes, hmm. which also, um, he also refused to interact with anyone outside the family, especially shunning relationships with other children. <laughs> Same. <laughs> right? I, I don't want to talk to nobody but y'all. N- me either. <laughs> he would be super strange with his aunt's visitors, doing things like lifting heavy objects with his teeth. <laughs> what the fuck? He would walk on his hands. Okay. So, you Sounds know. Sounds like a kid thing. Like to get a little more weird, he would actually, um, he began scaring his aunt by saying dirty things oh my god to and about her daughter and even so that's his cousin yeah and even peeked in at the little girl as well so you know like i said he's already peeking at people in his family he was sick which i mean to point out is why like you can't take other people's children in i mean i know how bad that sounds but you really can't you don't know what they've I been mean, like. I mean, I have a daughter. I'm not, you know, I, there's no way I could just bring another person's child around her. I'm the one to protect her. I'm the one to, you know, put her safety and well-being first. I'm sorry. That's that's not something I could do yeah, personally. Yeah, because you don't, you don't know what, like, other children have been exposed to. And, like, you just can't trust kids. I mean, I know that sounds awful, but, I mean, you just don't know. You don't know what they've been through, and you don't know what they know. I know. that It's terrible. But that just means you just, as a parent, you got to be, you know, on your shit. Yes. Thank you. And basically, um, his aunt gave him money just basically to sleep somewhere else. I mean, <laughs> which I honestly think it was kind of smart, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just to get rid of him. Yeah. I mean, because at the time, I mean, he was, like I said, he was, like, 14. He was going to bars and brothels in San Francisco and the red light like a, district. Did he have like a fake ID or something? Or was it just like that time that they weren't like it was, worried about it? Yeah, it was the 1900s. Oh it was God. before they even like had, had prohibition. Come on. Oh, I can't even like wrap my mind around being alive. Okay, go ahead. In that time frame. So, like I said, he started drinking and he was... Um, actually started his life of crime a little bit, I guess. So at the age of like 17, um, it, he was arrested for the first time for breaking into a cabin he believed was ab- abandoned. Apparently it wasn't. So he was sent to San Quentin State Prison in 1915 for two years. For what? For that situation? Yeah, he broke into a okay. cabin. Okay, well I just wanted to make sure, like clarify that. Because, I mean, he could have been arrested for no, something get your ass in prison, you <laughs> fucking burglar. <laughs> so, in 1917, 
he was enlisted to he enlisted in the army um but he deserted literally six weeks later <laughs> like six weeks and then this man uses an alias to join the navy <laughs> wait, wait, what? and you guessed it he deserted it again he's like he thought about it again he's like no no i don't want to do this either yeah i don't want to do the navy or the army <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why like i guess bro what, what, why'd you sign up <laughs> I, get, I get super optimistic when I'm high and I just... <laughs> right. So, a, a naval psychiatrist committed uh, and declared Earl uh, was basically constitutionally psychotic, in a psychotic state. And that motherfucker actually managed to escape two times mm. before he was released. So, you got committed and then you escaped twice. Like, how crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. So, like I said, we're going to go on to, like, his early crimes. Because after, uh, not too long after Ur Earl began his sex crimes, um, I guess if you don't count peeping and creeping as a sex crime, which I think it definitely is, because... So, but, like, motivated, but, like, he's actually, like, doing something? Right. Okay. So, this motherfucker, I guess, had been holding back until then, or just not been caught until May 19th of 1918, when Earl pretended to be a plumber, and he gained entry into the home of Charles Summers. It, honestly, in the article I read, it didn't say that there was an adult home, or if they were expecting a plumber, even. I mean, I, I don't know. He just, he gained entry into their home. Once he was in the home, he encountered Charles's 12-year-old daughter, Mary, and tried to assault her sexually. Mm. What the fuck? So, it wasn't told what, you know, actually he was doing to Mary. None of that, because, I mean, she was, she was 12. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to report no. that either, honestly. Right. That's, that's up there. And that's probably why it wasn't. She was a child. Yeah. So, while this is going on, of course, Mary screams at the top of her lungs... Her older brother came to the rescue, and Earl fled. Um, but the police actually caught up with him and arrested him. Hey. So, well, the judge sentences this creep to Napa State Mental Hospital. I mean, I, I after think finding him about, insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at that thought because I mean, he might be. Like, right, if, right. Like, if you're fucking do this. Like though. my next notice says, is which, in my opinion, he's, he's not right. insane, but he was mentally ill. Oh yeah. For sure, he and had I, underlying there. And but I would say he would he knew knew right from wrong. So like insane, you yeah, no. you don't know right from wrong. Like he knows right from wrong. Yeah, he knows what he was doing. Something like that. Yes. So insane, no, but mentally ill, yes, I would say. Doctors claim um, Earl was in, quote incurably insane and recommended he remain institutionalized for life, which I agree. He should have been institutionalized for life, but mm -hmm. I say in a maximum security facility, whether it be like a prison or a mental hospital. Yeah, because he, obviously he's dangerous. Whatever it takes, because just make sure it's maximum security, because, you know, these people, you know, need to be locked up forever. Typically, you don't want to, you know, hear about cases, you don't hear about cases where, you know, pedophiles rehabilitate. No, they're not going like, to. I, I just honestly don't think that happens. Well, I don't hear about those cases. If you if you see one, I guess no, I don't even want you to inbox that to me. Go on. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So um I like I said, I, I don't believe it, but while in the hospital, um, instead of just hanging out, you know, and doing doing his fucking time, this motherfucker escapes <laughs> three <laughs> times. You could tell what year it was. Three times. Like, come on. They learned nothing in 1915 when he escaped and, and ran from the fucking right. army and the, and the, and the Navy. Uh, he was in the Navy mental institution. How'd they not... This is why they, like, started coming up with, like, the terms, like, AWOL and shit like that. Because My mind is blown. They're like, okay, well, we've got all these people signing up and no one showed up. Right. But I guess, I mean, it was 1915, so... <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. So, by the third time, I mean, the staff is like, fuck it. I guess. I mean, they they just stopped trying to find him and trying to catch him. Like, 
personally, I don't think he should be allowed in the general public, but they're like, okay, I'm tired of trying that motherfucker. He, he plays too much. So, yeah, but he'll be thing, back, don't worry. <laughs> which I hope that he will be, but my whole thing is, like, why, like, why, like, I feel like people, like, especially, like, the justice system and stuff, like, they just kind of act like pedophiles are just, like, not that big of a deal, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's, like, the worst of the worst. That's just, just ugh. Like, and they hardly ever get any time, like, real jail time, and, like, it's just disgusting. It, it's just, I don't know, like, they're too lenient yes, on that they type really of shit. Are sick. But, I don't know. Uh, moving on though, yes. if it was reported between like his escapes, actually that he worked at a hospital as a janitor, and actually fucking married one of his coworkers in the hospital. Okay. So, you know, granted, his wife that he married was thirty eight years older than him. That's yeah. probably why she married him. She was like fifty eight at like, the okay, time, I got me a year and he yet. was twenty. Right. Ew. That's disgusting. Right. But his new wife was weirdly named Mary also. Ew. Like, did this freak have a fucking thing for berries? What the hell? She even reported during the marriage Earl refused to bathe and was prone to violent <laughs> outbursts. <coughs> which obviously resulted in Mary, Mary leaving Earl almost as fast as the marriage began. <laughs> she was like, bye. Peace. She pieced the go. fuck out of that. I would. I don't blame her. Please. Fucking violent outbursts. Right. And he was a sex offender. Did she not know that? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, never would have happened. So, after after that, basically Earl took a leap from his sexual assault to murder. Okay, he was like, I'm going there. So on February twentieth of nineteen twenty six, he strangled a fifty five year old woman named Clara Newman. Clara owned a rooming house in San Francisco on Pierce Street, and it had a vacancy sign in the window. Around 1.30 p.m., a man claiming he was named Roger Wilson, he came in and asked Clara to show him a room, you know, that was actually in the attic. Clara's nephew, Merton, I think that's how you say it, Merton, M-E-R-T-O-N, Merton. Ah, Merton. He lived in the house and actually seen the man and was able to provide a description of the man. Okay, good. So Merton described the man as about 30 years old, 5'7". He said that he wore an army shirt with civilian pants. He also What is that, jeans? Or Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you uh, off that. Like army pants? Oh, okay, oh, okay. okay. Sorry, that's good. Army fifty. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's that army shirt with civilian pants. So maybe jeans. Yeah, that's what. With like, jeans or? yeah, I guess maybe jeans with like, um, I don't know what an army shirt does. Yeah, no, I just was maybe something with a, with a tag on it or something. Okay. You know, okay. I don't know. I'm trying to envision it. Sorry. That's not something <laughs> I can explain because I didn't give that description. That was Merton. If you want me to look up Merton's info, yeah, I can try it. But he might be dead. Yes, this was a long time ago, 1926. So, he also told police that um, the man had a dark complexion, and he wasn't black, though. And he also said that the man wasn't in the attic for a long time before he came back downstairs and told Merton that, quote, quote, tell the lady that I'll be back in about an hour to rent that room, unquote. Mm -hmm. And the man didn't ever come back. So, about an hour later Merton went upstairs to check on Clara then he discovered her body with a cord tightly wrapped around her neck so Merton calls the police who didn't find a trace of the man who murdered Clara because obviously it had been over an hour mm -hmm. like why the out. fuck wouldn't you have went and checked before an hour later like you didn't do like a process of elimination like wait so where is she at like why instantly did, why did she not come down here with you like that doesn't make any sense yeah but it was determined she was actually raped after her murder. That's always super creepy when people do that. Like, why do you want to have sex with a dead body? I mean, I don't... Ew. I don't know. The second victim to fall to Earl's twisted murder spree was 63-year-old Laura Bill. She was the owner of Deer Park Apartments in San Jose, California. So is this thing like killing old women? Like... <laughs> We <laughs> what the fuck? Do you need me to tell you his names again? The the gorilla killer, the dark strangler, and then he had uh, 
believe his name was also the landlady killer. Mm. So. Yeah, this is super weird. Continue, please. On March 2nd, 1926, Laura was found strangled to death in her home. Her husband found her lifeless body on a bed in a vacant apartment. Laura was strangled with a silk belt from her dress. Mm. It was reported the silk belt Earl used to strangle Laura with was wound so tightly around her neck it left embedded imprints in her flesh. Mm. After further examination, it was revealed Laura was also raped. That's sad. Most of Earl's victims were mostly landladies where he would continue this same ruse um, what he would just approach them, you know, on the same premises of renting a room. Nelson also, you know, would carry his worn Bible and used it during the ruse as well to keep his victims at ease and off guard around him, basically. They're like, oh, okay, he's got a Bible. He's not scary. Right. But he really is. He was really crazy. Yeah. What the fuck? Once he gained uh, their trust, he would kill them, usually by strangling them and raping their dead bodies so necrophilia yeah that's it definitely he would usually hide their bodies under like the nearest bed so on june 26 1926 back in san francisco a 63 year old rooming house owner uh her name was lillian saint mary she was murdered what the fuck mary again yes like oh. i don't know what it is about this guy i wonder if he like knew their name was mary or it's just like a coincidence that they all fucking have the name mary i don't i mean he had to talk to him or something yeah. you know because yeah. well i don't know maybe not that back then i mean he might have just seen a room for rent and walked in you know yeah i can see yeah. but lillian she was murdered and raped you guessed it, and she was put in another vacant room. Mm. Like, also, um, the others, she was strangled after a struggle. So, I mean, basically, she's, he's been doing the same thing. He's going to just con continue going. He's got an M.O. The police had a suspicion that Lillian, Laura, and Clara were all killed by the same man, mainly due to the fact that they were all landladies around the same age. Uh, the newspaper dubbed the attacker as the Dark Strangler. and That's such a cool name. Why'd they give that to him? I, I hate when they give him good names. I know. Like, that's such a scary, cool, like, villain name. Like, but, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be the Dark Strangler. I <laughs> really neither. <though. laughs> Me either, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. But the gorilla killer also, like I said in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's weird, too. The reason they gave him that name was due to his long arms and big hands. So like a gorilla. But police suspected the attacker was an escaped patient from a Bay Area asylum. <laughs> I mean, which kind of, I guess he was. Oh, but I said they weren't wrong. They weren't all the way wrong, right? Yeah. But, and began examining records, you know, and to come up with something. Which, I mean, back then, like I said, was always a go-to, honestly. I feel like it, it, but it honestly does take a crazy person to put up this ruse and keep committing a murder to strangers. Yeah. Like, you just gotta be fuck? crazy. What the hell? So, like, while they searched through the records, um, you know, the murders continued. Damn. Ollie Russell of Santa Barbara, she was killed about two weeks after Lillian. Ollie was strangled with a cord from her boarding house. Her autopsy confirmed that she had been sexually assaulted after death. Ew. The similarities from the previous murders led officers to believe that the murder was also connected. Because, I mean, clearly the, the same M.O., you know. Right. For sure. Keep going with the same M.O. Earl would, you know, use false names and move quickly, basically, after he committed the crimes, which... Helped him avoid capture. Oh, I'm sure he's like, okay, gotta get out instantly. Right. So next, he moved to Oakland, where he, um, where an apartment building owner named Mary what? Nisbet, she was oh. found by her husband on August 16th. Mary had been strangled to death with a towel, and she was raped as well. 
There's something about me. <laughs> the 52-year-old, she was found in the bathroom of a vacant apartment. Mm. Police initially questioned her husband about the death, but he was clearly clear. I'm sorry, but he was quickly cleared after witnesses told police they seen a smiling stranger hanging outside of Mary's apartment building the day of the murder. Ew, it's so creepy. Can you imagine like thinking about that after the fact? Like, man, he was there was a really creepy guy out a there. A smiling stranger. Like, what the fuck? Did you smile back at him? Uh, mm. <laughs> In <laughs> fall of 1926, Earl relocated his reign of terror yet again. This time, he was in Portland, Oregon, where he continued the same ruse. This time, the woman he raped and murdered was 35-year-old mm. Beata Weather Withers. So this was a little bit younger than the normal. Right, regular than is than normal. But I mean, he originally started out with the 14. That's what I was about to say. Like, how do so, you go from like he, he just? I don't think he has a, an age. He just is. He just wants to commit this heinous act that feel like I don't think he has an age or preference really but Beata she was found dead on October 19th her body was stuffed I'm sorry under clothes inside a steamer trunk in the attic of her home Mm. by her 15 year old son wow that's so sad the next day October 20th literally the next day 59-year-old Virginia Grant was murdered in a vacant home she owned. Her body was found hidden in the basement behind the home's furnace. I'd be like, hey, landladies, don't look for look out for this guy. Don't be alone with him. I mean, just stop time, trying to rent rooms, I would say. <laughs> right. Jesus. But in the time frame, too, like, how would they all know? That this was yeah, going there's on? no, like, social media, right? Just to know it's going in different areas. Right. So, another day later, literally October 21st, Maybelle Fluke disappeared from her home in Portland. Her body was found several days later in the attic, strangled with a scarf. It didn't say whether or not she had been raped, but I think it's kind of safe to assume so. Just, you know. Based off of him. The pattern, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Despite the similarities with the three deaths, a coroner's jury was appointed to evaluate the, quote, mysterious death of Beata. They returned with a split decision, with three (laughs) believing her death was in fact murder, and the other three saying her death was a suicide. Okay. Like, my question is how? (laughs) Right, how do you go from, okay. I don't know because, like, usually you don't strangle yourself or rape yourself. I mean, but nor have I ever heard of someone getting in a trunk and covering themselves up with clothes after they kill themselves either. But who the fuck am I, I guess? My my whole thing is, like, what? You guys just, you believed it? Okay. No, they didn't believe it, I feel like. They just wanted to... Just to kind of put it to the side, because, I mean, that was the third death in three days. You know, like, they didn't want it to just be another murder, I guess. Yeah, I get it. But the murders in Portland suddenly stopped and would pick back up briefly in San Francisco. Mm. On November 18th, Earl raped and murdered (laughs) 56-year-old widow Anna Edmonds. (laughs) You okay? Shut up, I'm hot. Police did not want to credit this crime to the Dark Strangler, but police were told by a friend of Anna's days after the murder that she'd actually stopped by Anna's the day of the murder and found, quote, Anna talking to a strange man in her parlor about selling her house. Mm. The woman's description of the man was... One to match the dark strangler. Mm. That's sad. Oh my god. Literally next day, November 19th, about a 23-minute drive away from San Francisco, Mrs. H.C. Murray of Burlingham, uh, California, either had a room for rent or was selling her home, because I've seen both, but Mrs. Murray, she was about, uh, she was 28 years old at the time of her attack. 
and she was eight months pregnant. Mm -hmm. At about 6 p.m., a man came to view the home who fit the strangler's description. It was reported that she was attacked almost as soon as he entered the home. Wow, so he didn't even, like, pretend to... Not at all. Murray fought back for her life. She scratched him in his face, his hands, but... um, And she screamed so loud, you know, that the neighbors came to her rescue. The strangler actually fled, but guess what? The pregnant woman survived. Hell yeah. You go, Glenn Coco. So, she described the man to the police and the reporters as a man about 5 feet 8 inches. Short. He was well-dressed and well-spoken. She also pointed out to reporters that he, quote, commented several times on the home's ceilings details in efforts to get her to look up so that he could get behind her and grab her throat oh my god so he like thought this shit through like he like yeah that ceiling molding up there like the fuck (sighs) creepy the fact that she survived the attack scared the hell out of the strangler (laughs) that he you know moved up the coast um just days later on november 23rd earl struck again yeah, because he probably was like, oh, shit, like, somebody's going to ID me. She's going to know who I am. Yeah, so he moved. and But like I said, days later, he struck again. So, I mean, he wasn't obviously that scared. He couldn't probably fight this urge. You know, people are weird like that. Yeah. This time he struck, though, in Seattle. He murdered Miss Florence Monks. He also ransacked her home and stole over $10,000 in jewelry. Damn, and that was like back then, so can you imagine how much that'd be worth now? Right. Like, that is crazy. Or is that money, like, in today's? Wait, I'll get to it, because I think I did that math for us. But literally six days later, on November uh, 29th, Blanche Myers was murdered in her Portland home. Damn. After killing her, he raped her uh, body, placed it on her bed, the t- this time, police were able to recover fingerprints that were found on her iron bedposts. Mm. The murders murders incited public fear and panic. Reported that, quote, the third floor of the Portland Police Bureau had become a veritable madhouse. Mm. With clerks taking hundreds of phone calls and reports of suspicious characters. One woman named Edna called the police, claiming that a suspicious man who went by the name Adrian Harris stayed at her boarding house uh, several days after uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Adrian rented a room sight unseen and even purchased a Thanksgiving dinner when Edna complained about not being able to afford one. Another thing that stuck out to Edna was that on November 29th, the day of Blanche Myers' murder, mm-hmm. the man told her and other residents that he was leaving and taking the train to Vancouver, Washington, and would not be returning. She found him leaving very odd since he had another two days left paid in advance. That is weird. I'd be like, can I get my money back? Right? <laughs> but also, before leaving... He gave Edna and another woman who stayed at the boarding house jewelry as a gift. Mm, Probably from victims or something. These items were later determined by police they belonged to Florence Marks. That's fucked up. He was like trying to hurry up and get rid of that shit. Yes. So, at this time, law enforcement were trying anything to prevent, you know, any more murders. (laughs) Police were, uh, went to Oregon and California and issued public safety announcements to citizens. In San Francisco, the Bay Area, elderly women were advised to, quote, take precaution while renting a room and inviting strangers into their homes. Also, police from Portland's bureau issued the following statement to the public. Quote, do not show your houses or rooms for rent while alone if necessary call a policeman to accompany you crimes such as these should be prevented 
if women had been careful. I do not wish to unduly alarm the people of Portland, but there is no denying the situation is grave. So basically ill because quote the quote crimes could be prevented uh, if women had been more careful. Like really, you're gonna blame it on the woman? Like, no, the crimes could have been more, could have been prevented, you know, if this piece of shit weren't out there com- fucking committing them. And that. others like that. Because. Uh, Why would the, you even say some ignorant shit like that? Or if they would have actually went back to fucking find him the third time he escaped. <laughs> like, can you please get a, a hold on this man? Like, excuse the fuck out of me, police. Do your job. But after leaving Portland, Nelson moved east by hitchhiking rides and stowing away on trains on december 23rd almira barrard i like that that. she was found in her council bluffs home in iowa almira was 41 years old when she was found she had been garroted with a shirt i hate that my god that term i'm (laughs) Initially, the crime was not linked to the Dark Strangler. Local police believed her death was a suicide at first because she had been recently discharged from a psychiatric institution. Wow. Upon further examination, it was proved she was raped. A neighbor reported last seeing Almira with a poorly dressed man around the age of 30 years old, and she also claimed that the man called himself Mr. Williams. That is super weird. So, from there, the killer moved again, probably to stay under police's radar. This time, he made it actually a stop in Kansas City, Missouri, two days after Christmas in 1926. Bonnie Pace was strangled to death and raped in her home. How old was she? Did it say? She was an older lady? I... Did not get her number. Okay. Sorry. No, it's okay because I mean, like, shit. Like, her husband unfortunately had to find her lifeless body in an upstairs bedroom. Mm. Literally the next day, December 28th, this lunatic strikes again. This time, not only does he murder 28 year old Germania Harpin, he also murdered. Her eight-month-old infant, Robert. Oh, my God. Like, how the fuck could you, bro? He strangled both. Robert was strangled with a diaper. Wow. And his mother had been raped after her death. Of course, that's his MO. The two were discovered by her husband when he got home from work that evening. Literally, bro, my worst fucking nightmare. Can you imagine? Like, that is so, like, that would be the most horrific thing to walk into because you're already fucking tired from working all day and then you like wait wait what so this fuckwad earl he (laughs) moved he keeps moving east but he took a little break from you know raping and murdering because i mean he didn't kill again for at least four months he landed this time in philadelphia and on april 27th of 1927 the McConnells, they were trying to sell their home for about a year with a for sale sign in the window. And Mary McConnell, oh, wow, she was unfortunately home that day. And she was murdered and raped as well. Oh my God. But this time, this jackass stole and tried to pawn a bunch of Mary's jewelry the, the next day after the murder. And the pawn shop owner, I got her name, it was Mary Kahn. She declined it. The reason was unspecified, but I'm betting it's because the jewelry was the woman's and the word of Mary's murder had probably gotten around. That's crazy. She was like, nope, don't want it. No, thank you, sir. No, thank you. (laughs) Take Mary her shit back. One month later, on May 27th, Nelson shows up in Buffalo, New York. This time, he meets a homeowner named Jenny Randolph, and he goes on to actually rent a room from from the 53-year-old. Jenny's brother, Gideon, answered the door that day, and Nelson introduced himself as 
Charles Harrison, a painter from New York. Three days later, Jenny was found. Her body was stuffed under a bed in her home. She had been strangled to death and raped. Jenny's brother described him as about 33 years old with a stocky build and a dark complexion and black hair that was slipped straight back. Ew. You know, probably like all nasty and dirty too. Slip. Greasy. Uh-huh. You know, I was thinking that word. A boarder at the house named Fred Merritt would later positively ID Earl Nelson as Charles Harrison. It's like, oh, okay, same guy. It's what, same you, guy. It's what you get. Yeah. Even with uh, witnesses and all, I mean, he still gets away, though, mainly due to him leaving right after the murders. So, you know, after the murder in New York, Earl moves his gruesome spree to Detroit, Michigan. Damn, so he just keeps moving as just soon as it happens. pops on out, yes. On June 1st, 59-year-old Fannie Mae, 59-year-old Fannie Mae, a boarding house manager and a boarder, 29-year-old Maureen Authority, was found by the boarding house owner, Leonard Sink. Leonard was coming to collect the rent from Fannie when he discovered the strangled bodies in the home. Of the women. Fanny had been garroted with an electrical cord that had been actually cut from a table lamp. Mm-hmm. And the, the home was ransacked. He left Detroit and went to Chicago where Nelson committed his last murder in the United States. On June 2nd, Earl murdered a 27-year-old woman named Mary Seatsma. How many Marys is that by now? Way too many. Jeez. She was discovered on the floor of her home by her husband. Mary had also been strangled with an appliance cord, and her skull was crushed. Mm. Also, several men's clothes items were stolen from the home. The killer was gone with no trace, and actually went to Canada unnoticed. Because on June 8th, literally six days later, mm-hmm. in Winnipeg, a man going by the name of Mr. Woodcotts checked into a boarding house. The same day, there was a 14-year-old named Lola Cowan. She was going door-to-door selling artificial flowers her sister had made. And um, Aww, she, so she had never came home. Aww. Mr. Woodcotts all of a sudden leaves the boarding room, leaves it the door open and all. Miss Hill in that big of a hurry. Yeah, though. he left just suddenly, you know, left the door open. Mm-hmm. He, he was just gone, you know. Miss Hill, the landlady, she goes in, straightens the room up, rents it out again about three days later. The new tenant finds Lola shoved under the bed. Oh my god. I will never not look under the bed now. That was freaky. 14-year-old Lola was savagely mutilated and raped in such a manner described as reminiscent of Jack the Ripper. Wow. That is creepy. If they found a body under their, their bed. Oh, my God. Right. So, like, meanwhile, in that, that three days, on June 10th, so two days, actually, after he, you know, was there and left, mm-hmm. he was still in Winnipeg. Another woman... She was murdered. Her name was Emily Patterson. She was found stuffed under her son's bed by her husband that evening while he was kneeling at the bedside to say prayers with his son. Oh, my God. Emily had been raped and strangled to death, and her killer also bludgeoned her with a claw hammer. Okay, wait. Pause. Can you imagine being that dad and seeing her at that moment, like, how would you not freak the fuck out and like because she had been missing you know oh like God, where's where's just... my wife and then you're just going down to say prayers with your kid that and night like down there. please bring mommy home and then you look down and you see that she's literally stuck. like i can't fuck that's fucked up man i guess at least you know like he killed children too so i guess the kid wasn't there is what you're saying mm-hmm I mean, true, but damn. Yeah. Earl also stole several items from their home, 
like a suit, a gold wedding ring, the family Bible, and $70 randomly in tens. A knife was left behind at the scene. It had burn marks and nicks that were consistent with the knife found at the scene of the murder of Fanny and Maureen. The day after the murder, a local jeweler unknowingly purchased Emily's wedding ring from Earl for a reported $3.50. Wow. What, <laughs> what time to be What alive. the fuck? What a time to be alive. The stolen clothes were reportedly found for sale at a local secondhand clothing store. What the fuck? Both, uh would actually later identify the man as Earl Nelson. A barbershop owner literally next door to the clothing store also told police he gave a haircut, a shave, and a damn massage to a man resembling Earl on the afternoon of June 10th. He also advised the police that, quote, while cutting the man's hair, he noticed dried blood and scratch marks on his head. Oh my god. And when he asked the man about his head, he became agitated and told him not to touch them. Uh, don't you touch my scratch marks. So, Canadian police, you know, broadcast a description of the man over the radio and cautioned women, basically, to stop letting strangers into their home under any pretense, which... I feel like should not be something we should have to tell people. people. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially, though, under his normal M.O., you know, like renting a room. They even offered a $1,500 reward, which was worth, you know, like today's money, $23,000. Oh, my goodness. For any information leading to an arrest of the person responsible. So... You know, obviously, several reports came in across Canada. The best one came actually on June 16th, 1927 in Killarney, Manitoba. Okay. That's actually about 12 miles from North Dakota, uh, from the border of North Dakota. So it's not too far from, you know, the United States, really. Mm-hmm. But um, when police arrested a man that matched the description of the strangler, who called himself Virgil Wilson. This man was nothing like police expected. He was actually described as calm and collected. Ooh, that's even creepier. Still, police kept him in jail, trying to rule him in or out. While in his cell, Virgil, some fucking how, found a file in his cell and used the shit to escape the jail that night. Oh my god. He tried fleeing back to the the States by jumping on a train, but his dumbass just so happened to choose a train transporting members of the Winnipeg police. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so this dumb motherfucker was back in jail within 12 hours. Oh, hell yeah. This time he's at the Rupert Station. I'm sorry. Like, you know, sorry, but you know he was like, are you fucking, that'd be my luck, I swear. Like, you look around, you're like, damn, I'm really back in jail again. A train full of police. <laughs> like, I got out, I got out, and then, oh, <laughs> what the fuck, man, they got right back in. Right. But, like I said, within 12 hours, he was back in jail. Um, he was booked, fingerprinted, photographed, and those were all distributed to police stations across the United States. Several witnesses verified that this quote, Virgil Wilson is the same man from the murders in the in the United States. Police also matched his prince to Earl Nelson. Which was his real identity, correct? Right, that's his real name. Ugh. And they also matched his fingerprints and teeth marks to those at, at the crime scenes. At first, Earl admitted to the crimes. He was even quoted telling reporters, I only do my lady killings on Saturday nights. He, okay. he quickly retracted his admission and claimed to be innocent despite multiple witnesses um, and attempts from both U.S. and Canadian police agencies to, you know, get like a confession. Right. But Earl refused to admit to 
any of the murders in which he was accused and basically like i said he admitted to already mm. like the fuck i hate people that do that like are you fucking you're just toying with us makes now. me sick me too like at one point, I think that the one of the main reasons why people like kill and do that kind of shit is like they want attention. So just be honest with us. Let's get get your shit out the way, give you a little two seconds, and move on. But I feel like this way they get to string it along, yeah. and they, they still feel like they're in control, right? I hate that. That shit pisses me off. I hate it. So we're gonna move on to Earl's murder trial. Okay. This was originally scheduled for. June 27th, 1927. Literally 11 days after his a fucking rest. This blew me. Because, like, how was everything ready to go in court after only 11 days? Because it was 19, whatever. They probably didn't have nothing. 1927, I guess. That's probably why. They didn't have nothing to prepare. They were just like, all right. He did it. Here he is. He's not a witch, though. (laughs) Not a witch. He's fine. At the time of his arrest, Earl was wanted in six U.S. cities. Damn. But he was held to be tried, actually, in Manitoba court for the murders of Cowan and Patterson. He was also charged with two counts of attempted molestation, one count of burglary. Earl's attorney, James Stitt, was... He, he requested to postpone the trial, and it was pushed off until November 1st. Um, at the Winnipeg Courts Law Building, the case was actually prosecuted by R.B. Graham and overseen by Justice Andrew Dysart. Earl's ex-wife, Mary Martin, testifies against him, claiming that he was, quote, absolutely insane. I mean, she would know. Also, 60 people from the both Canada and the United States testified. Many placed Earl at various crime scenes. Earl also was caught with jewelry and the trail uh, of pawning items. So it was indisputable that he, you know, rented the room where Lola Cowan's body was found. Like there was, there's no way he could even deny that. Yeah, like th- this is pointing to you directly. Earl's attorney didn't even attempt to argue innocence because. <laughs> All right, like let's move on. We know like, we get it. Why? Yeah, <laughs> that's what his attorney he, was thinking. He instead asked the court for clemency because Earl was insane. I don't like like I don't know. I think we already said this, but I don't think he was insane. I just think he had a lot of mental issues. But insane, like like you said, you you knew right from wrong. Yeah. Right. The jury took zero pity on Earl after <laughs> forty minutes of deliberation. The jury. The jury sentenced him to death. Yes, a 19 or 27. His attorney again claimed that he was insane even though, you know, um, he claimed to be innocent. Like, either you're insane or you're innocent. I don't... <laughs> his attorney... He's like, yeah, I know he's insane. He's saying he's innocent. And we all know he's not. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> His attorney submitted a 30-page document petitioning for clemency. He also stated that Earl's history had been unfairly presented to the jury through the press. The doc consisted of 20 affidavits from people who had been known throughout Earl's life who swore they were, quote, in a position to know full well the character and mentality of the said Earl Nelson that they verily believed without exaggeration or mental reservation had been for a long period of time a person of unsound mind. Mm. So basically Same. he's crazy is what they're trying to say. <laughs> but he's not crazy, huh? No. Like, I don't... He's not insane, but he's, he's basically... 20 insane. people said he's <laughs> insane, but he's not insane. I don't know. In one affidavit... Mrs. L.J. Casey, who had employed Earl as a groundskeeper in 1926, claimed to have once, quote, heard him laughing and talking to himself all the time. One day while I happened to be there, he sat right outside in the drenching rain, looking at the sky without a coat until he was soaked through. 
wow, this guy seems like he's sketching me out just by his own actions. <laughs> During Earl's incarceration, before his trial, Earl was examined five times a day by Dr. Alvin T. Mathers, chief of the psychiatric ward. He testified in court that, quote, I did not find any evidence that to me would constitute insanity. Despite the many affidavits, the appeal was denied, and Earl's execution was scheduled for the second Friday of January. So, Earl was executed by hanging at 7.30 a.m. on January 13, 1928, at the Vaughn Street Jail in Winnipeg. His last words were, quote, I am innocent. I stand innocent before God and man. I forgive those who wronged me and asked forgiveness for those I have injured. God have mercy. Oh my God. I just was looking at pictures of this dude. Like, he, he doesn't really, I, wanna, I don't think he looks super crazy. Like, obviously he, you know, I'm just like, whoa. Yes. Earl Nelson was only convicted of two murders in Canada and an American trial may have only prolonged his sentence in Canada. Evidence proves, though, he was responsible for killing at least 20 women. But another source linked a total of 22 women that occurred between 1926 and 1927. This actually remained a record high for almost 50 years. Earl was the first serial killer slash sex serial murder in American history whose crimes were subject to widespread media attention. His crimes and trial received international media attention across the U.S., Canada, and Australia. His murder spree served as a source of inspiration for an Alfred Hitchcock film, Shadow of a Doubt, which focuses on a serial killer named the Mary Widow Murderer, who targets elderly widows. Though he refused to admit to any of his crimes he was accused of, his victims consisted of exclusively women along with one male infant child. That's so fucked up. So my sources for this, um, I pulled an article actually it was from 1927 from the San Bernardino County Sun and I also was on Murderpedia looking up Earl Nelson so that is what we have for you today that like that that is insane that case I hadn't really heard about it I mean even though like cases that are that old are just mind-blowing to me like it's insane no like this motherfucker like I said he was the a monster oh my god he was the record high for almost 50 years basically like nobody had even come close i guess to that and he was at 22 oh my goodness but yeah anyways like i was saying i was just looking at his image and he honestly isn't a, a bad looking guy i would say you know he looked pretty normal for the most part at the beginning stages but i you just never know people yeah no it's it's really weird so I, I just mm, I, I just hope to never meet a person like that. That's just crazy to me. Um, I ugh, yeah. really feel sad and sorry for the victims and the victims' family. And like I said, everything is said with respect to the victims and their family. This is a comma crime podcast hosted by husband and wife duo justin and katie daniels this is a true crime podcast that has our spin on the cases in the suspects we're saying everything in respect of the victims and their family this is our lighthearted way of bringing you the case with as much accuracy as we could do research you can hit us up with any case suggestions add case suggestions in the subject line you can um, hit us up on our email um, it's killers all around us at gmail.com um, you can add us on Facebook, Killers All Around Us, a true crime podcast. You can add us on Twitter, um, at Around Killers, Killers All Around Us, or you can add us on Instagram, at Killers All Around Us, and that's no spaces. 
Um, also, you should check out our other podcasts that we do in connection with this one, um, where we discuss current topics going on in the news, social media, celebrities. Um, the info for that will be coming soon. So, yeah, we'll be recording that one soon. Yeah. I'm ready. Um, shooting the shits are always really fun. They're lighthearted. So we like to do these. These are serious. And then the shooting the shits kind of let us like yeah. palate cleanser. Breath of fresh air. Yes. All right, guys. Well, we love you. And um, we'll see you later. Later, fellow crime junkies. Later, weirdo. Bye.